Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle, the only podcast that covers the plot, lore, and more behind all your favorite or soon-to-be-favorite video games. My name is Tom. I'm Andrea. We're the hosts of The Other Castle. And, yeah, as Andrea said, we break down the plot, lore, and more. We're going to tell you the story of the production of a video game, and then we're going to break down the entire story of that video game for you. Kind of an auditory walkthrough. Right. And if this is your first time tuning in, welcome to our show. Hello! If you've been listening for a while and want to support our show, you can go to our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. Where you can revisit some of our back catalog. You can also go to our merch store, The Item Shop. And then from there, you can also support the show by going to our Patreon. Yeah, it's fun. We have some really exciting episodes behind the paywall there. We did Tetris. We've done the DLC to Cuphead. We've done the DLC to Bioshock 2. There's some other stuff on there, too. Yeah, we did we some do cool shit. a newsletter. We do merchandise drops. We do all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, but for today, what are we doing, Tom? So one of my favorite things about our show is that we try to cover as many different platforms as humanly possible. Right, like we covered... Cuphead, which technically got poured out to Tesla. To a Tesla, and right. shit like that. <laughs> yeah, and so this one, we are doing our very first VR game. Ooh, VR is, is hard. It's a difficult medium to master because, you know, it's still pretty new. Yeah, I, I always get headaches when I play it. I, I feel like I get cross-eyed. It's just, it's not for me. I have astigmatism, which is like your eyes are shaped like overly more so than normal eyes are. So maybe it's just my eyes can't look at VR the appropriate way. And to be fair, the types of VR that I know you've used so far are very early iterations. Yeah. They weren't able to really take that into account yet. Yeah, that's true. They're like, uh, best case scenario, this works. Otherwise, it's not going to. And like, yeah, I get that. Not everything's for me. It's fine. And a lot of the more modern ones are starting to take that more into account. So that way people like you can enjoy VR. Inclusivity matters, bitch. Hell yeah. Yeah. So we're past that first wave and now they're going into the second wave to make it a lot more accessible. Love that. Very exciting. I don't understand how contacts work and I refuse to use them. I don't even really wear my glasses that much. I probably should. (laughs) Every time we drive, I'm like, damn, is that what that street says? And you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, we're just going to get you LASIK because... No! Yeah, we're no, just going to shoot lasers getting... into your eyes no! and just take care of this. No! That's how Dead Space 2 opens. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> no, no, LASIK scares the shit out of me. I am too much of a pussy to do that. God bless her. My mom did it. She's fucking fearless. She also got her eyebrows tattooed on in the 90s. She's just like, I'm down to guinea pig shit. I'm not. That seems fucking terrifying. <laughs> what well, the fuck? Then wear your damn glasses. No. Well, <laughs> anyway, this week we are doing the PlayStation VR exclusive title, Blood and Truth. I saw a little bit of this over your shoulder while you were playing it, and it just seems like a Guy Ritchie movie. That's exactly what it is. Oh, sick. I fucking love Guy Ritchie movies. If you guys haven't seen The Gentleman, you should. It's a goddamn delight. Yeah, no, this is an action movie, and they want you to be the star. That's fun. I like that. That's like, that's the fun of VR. Like, I get Beat Saber. I get those kind of immersive fucking rhythm games. Like, we had Thumper for a while, and I think the VR one of that genuinely scared the shit out of one of my friends. We had her play it. But, you know, moving that VR past just losing yourself in the rhythm and into losing yourself in a narrative is a great step up for the platform. Yeah, entirely. And Blood and Truth 
is, you know, heralded as being one of the better stories in a VR game so far. Oh, hell yeah. So Blood and Truth was developed by Sony-owned London Studio. It's just called London Studio? Yeah. Okay. London Studio has been an innovator for Sony since 2002, launching a few classic and innovative titles. London Studio typically created games to highlight the power of Sony's peripherals. Oh, so similarly to how Supermassive and Until Dawn was used as a leverage for PlayStation to do the Move controller and then later the haptics for the 4 controller, same deal? That's almost exactly that. And, you know, hang on to the Move because that's going to feature prominently in this story. Oh, no. (laughs) We went through our shit and I found three Move controllers the other day. (laughs) Why do we have so many goddamn Moves? You'll find out why. Oh, no. One of the games that they created was PS2's SingStar, which utilized a microphone and judged whether you were singing on key or not. Like a karaoke game? Like a karaoke game, and it predated titles like Guitar Hero and Rock Band by an entire console generation. Oh, shit. So they're like, before we get to the fun things, we'll let you sing. I'm Filipino, and karaoke is our national sport. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? It's at every party. All about it. And yeah, that first one came out in 2004, and the most recent one was in 2017. So that's a long-standing franchise. Okay. Yeah, been around a long, long time. And it also created the iToy Games, which was PlayStation's first venture into player-involved motion capture games. Oh, shit. So the PlayStation camera, then called the PlayStation Eye, would be focused on the player, and they'd watch the screen and try to like hit things with their hands, that kind of shit. Oh, fun. Is that similarly to how Just Dance works and shit like that? Yeah, that same kind of technology. Okay, sick. And there are a few other titles from them, but at the end of the day, it's a studio built around innovation. Very cool. So when Sony was developing its PSVR, London Studio was one of the first to be given an opportunity to develop for it. Having never made a VR game, they decided to test out all the features available to the VR headset and created a few different tech demos. Some of them were games and some of them were just experiences. And we don't typically, like, do a history on a console itself or, like, a peripheral. Right. But for the PSVR, we need to kind of take a minute and, like, talk about some of the differences it has to other VR systems. Okay, so, like, the differences between that and an Oculus and shit like that. Yeah. I don't know this, so I'm genuinely just excited to hear about it. So, it's the only true VR headset that officially connects to a home console. Oh, eat it, Xbox. And because it had to operate on a PlayStation 4 it could never really achieve the same level of detail as some of the more expensive standalone and PC-connected VR headsets, like you said, the Oculus even. However, for the price, the PSVR was a good entry-level VR unit. We have one. Yeah, with the exception of the controllers. On their previous console generation, the PS3, PlayStation had created two peripherals that had failed miserably. Oh no! I mentioned the iToy games previously, and they came out on the PS2 the first time PlayStation tried to make like a camera game a thing. Yeah. Well, they were still determined to make the camera work with the PS3, and they released an upgraded version. And to supplement the camera and to make it more useful, they created the PlayStation Move controllers. Ah, the wands. Yeah, so yeah, there's wand style with a light-up bulb at the end, and they kind of look like a microphone. They genuinely do look like the karaoke mic, to your point earlier. (laughs) right? And they were made to compete with the Nintendo's Wii console. Ah. 
And we talked about the Move controller in our Until Dawn episode, like you said, and they were developing that game to utilize those controls, but they right. ultimately decided against it because they're fucking awful. <laughs> well, in that context, too, they were going to use it as a flashlight and as your melee, so I think there were some technical difficulties in terms of ease of play with that specific context. But yeah, the the original concept for Until Dawn was truly just to showcase the move and be like, look how sick this is. They showed a demo. Everyone went, please scrap this. And they had to entirely change the game from the start. We get into that in our Until Dawn episode. But I know just this one bit of history very well because of it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I was one of those people who stupidly bought the PlayStation 3's move system entirely. I thought they were going to do something with it. And they never did. We did like one game, I think. You had a paintbrush game or something. Yeah. If I recall correctly, but can't even think of the title. So fuck me. Well, for some reason, PlayStation refused to give up on the Move controllers. <laughs> Over my dead body. As well as the PlayStation camera, and decided to incorporate both into their PSVR headset. Oh. And the one missing component to the controllers was any kind of joystick. So there's like not even a D-pad on there. Oh, you're right. Yeah, fuck. Which developers went on to have a very difficult time designing around. Because, <laughs> my guy, what are we supposed to do? And it resulted in some games using the Move Wands and some using the regular PlayStation DualShock 4 controllers. And yeah, as Andrea said, we've had the PSVR for a few years and I like it, but honestly, I don't love it. Yeah. Uh, the wires are cumbersome and you need a lot of space to make it work. And you have to have a very specific amount of space. Like we have to move the coffee table and kind of block off an area of like, all right, I can't cross here. Otherwise, I'm going to get rammed by Tom trying to do Beat Saber. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> but it still delivers a very usable VR experience. And, you know, games like you said, actually, Beat Saber and Thumper, those work really well. And Blood and Truth works really well, too. But it's just not perfect. It still has some of its issues. That's reasonable, though. With the first generation, you are just trying to get to the finish line and say, we did it to say we did it. And it's what you build on. You know, it's really rare that the first thing that comes out on a brand new hardware is actually perfect. Yeah. And with what they accomplish here, it's really impressive. So London Studio, like I said, made some demos and some of those demos used the wands, some of them the controller and some used neither. That's interesting that the demos kind of took place in different areas of how the hardware can function of like, fuck it, here's just your head and like, here's the traditional controller and stuff. But it's also interesting because a lot of people with a traditional controller, even if you don't look down, it's difficult to play if you're not able to look at your hands. You know what I mean? Yeah, for a lot of people. And like, I've played some VR games where when you look down, you can see an outline of the controller <gasps> in your hand. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And yeah, so they made all these different demos because they really just wanted to explore all the different options that they had. Totally. And they released the demos with the launch of the $400 PlayStation VR and called it PlayStation VR Worlds. So it was just kind of what came with the VR hardware? Sometimes. So it was a oh. $15 tech demo for PSVR users to see what the system was going to have to offer. But it was also offered as part of a $500 VR bundle that included the camera and two move controllers. Oh, okay. It was widely pushed, at least, though. It wasn't like a sneaky demo. Right. And it was actually a really good deal, that VR bundle, because it saves over like 150 bucks if you pieced everything out. Okay, that's cool. Is that what we got? No, because some oh. people like us 
bought the camera and move controllers for the PS3. Oh. And we're waiting for a reason to use them. Oh, God damn it. They got us there. Yeah. And they were at least fully compatible with PSVR. Gotcha. The included demos in PSVR Worlds were VR Luge, which was a street luge simulator where you use your head just to steer the like a high speed street luge. Wait, what the fuck is street luge? You're laying down, like, think of it as you're laying down on a skateboard. Yeah, and just flying. And flying. But these are, like, really designed for this kind of skateboard. So it's, like, part of your body at that point. Do people do that? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, you'll have to watch some videos. It's pretty wild. I'm thinking of the Jamaican bobs. That's bobsledding. Never mind. No, but you're not far off. I mean, it luge is, like, a version of that where you're a one person, but you're in, like, a little tube. No, this is just flying down a fucking street. What the fuck? Okay, gotcha. Insane concept, but gotcha. Well, you can do it in VR. Okay. We have it. I don't want to. (laughs) I do not want to do that, but thank you. Uh, Scavenger's Odyssey, a sci-fi title where you get to shoot aliens. Cool. Standard. Ocean Descent, an experiential demo where you ride a shark cage into dangerous waters. That's kind of cool. Did I do that one? I feel like I've done that one. I think you did that one, yeah. Danger Ball, a soccer ball headbutting game. Danger Ball? <laughs> Do you remember when Murder Ball was like a thing in the media where everyone's like, yeah, it's, you know, you can use a wheelchair and shove balls at each other on a basketball court? It sounds like the evolution of that. Right. <laughs> no, this is Danger Ball. Kind of sitting still and headbutting shit. Oh, that's way not as cool. Fuck. And London Heist, a first person shooter style diamond heist with the London Mafia. Oh, that's cool. Like I said, they charged for this, and it wasn't really fair. Like, this should have been free with every PSVR, regardless of the bundle. Right, because there's so much of it where it's experiential, and you just kind of look around at shit. Like, ah, there's a shark. Cool. Yeah, like they did with the playroom, with their Astrobots and shit. Oh, right. Yeah. But also, PlayStation proper went on to make an Astrobots, like, full game. Did they really? And it's fucking fantastic. Oh, that's good. Good for them. No, it really is like the Super Mario Brothers of VR. Oh, I love that. But everyone that paid and played this demo reel loved the London Heist section. I mean, off the bat, when you're just rattling down the roster, it does sound the most compelling and exciting to play. Yeah, it had a full story with different set pieces and action scenes. And London Studio took that feedback and decided to produce a full game based on the London Heist experience and set to work making Blood and Truth. Do you think they had an office poll of which one would do the best? Ooh, from the demo reel? Yeah. You know, I don't think so. Probably not. They were probably just like, let's just... I I bet the expectation was London Heist. They're not like, ah, fuck you, Team Danger Ball. Yeah, right. I don't think they were expecting Danger Ball to hit too well. How funny would that be, though? It wasn't going to be a header in. So, yeah, the game was set to be an ode to, like, cockney English gangster movies like Guy Ritchie's Snatch or Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Totally. As well as a mixture of as many different action movies as they could possibly jam in. (laughs) Just because, like, let's have fun. Yeah, and they wanted the player to be the action hero of that story. I love that. And they built the game kind of in reverse for the most part. They decided what the big action pieces were going to be at the beginning. Okay. So like we want to hit these kind of beats and make sure you go through these kind of experiences and then we'll figure out the story around it later. Yeah. Pretty much everyone got together and just threw ideas into a hat and then chose the coolest ones. 
Honestly, that sounds fucking sick. Yeah, that was the whole point was like, let's make this fucking sick. Love that. They invented a new way of doing storyboards even. Really? Yeah, what they did was they drew the full 360 degrees of a scene in VR using a VR paintbrush. Oh, shit. And then they used those storyboards so they could make changes before ever having to program anything. I've seen that VR experience where you can take a paintbrush and just draw around yourself and kind of get that texture and all around you. So they literally use that playroom sequence to build out their set pieces. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it was really smart and innovative of them. And they didn't even end up hiring their head writer, a man named Colin Harvey, until after all the levels were designed and the action pieces were chosen. (laughs) So they were like, you figure it out. Well, fortunately, Colin Harvey is a fucking pro. Hell yeah. He literally has his PhD in video game storytelling. Is that a thing? It's apparently a fucking thing. What? He has it. Can you imagine if they had that at the college we went to? Oh my God, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? To have your PhD in video game storytelling. Like, good for you, man. What do you get your bachelor's in? Is that a screenwriting bachelor's that you go into before? Like, that's insane. I want to learn all about that educational path completely separately because I have my bachelor's. I can go higher. Let's fucking do this. I mean, I know CalArts actually offers storytelling in video games, so that's possible where he's got it from. That's so cool. I love that. And his favorite aspect of the story being the fact that he was able to make the women of the story some of the strongest and most badass characters in the game. I love that. Good. And in the interview I read with him, Andrea's about to find out what that he said something that completely breaks both of us wide fucking open wait what he says that the way you write a video game is almost identical to the way you write a broadway musical what the fuck wait no you're right we didn't talk about this beforehand what the fuck did you just say to me i love it i'm here for it please bring more andrew lloyd webber references into this uh, show because you haven't done so yet to my happiness what the fuck keep going So you get some story yeah, and then a song and then you get some story. And when you play a game, you get some story, some gameplay and then some story. So each actual gameplay scene is just another song. Yeah. And the best versions of both move the plot along with the song or gameplay. Yeah. Oh, all right. And especially now with mocap performances in video games. They're essentially digital theater productions. That's true. (laughs) It's a bunch of actors on a stage performing for the audience of one person, the gamer. Huh. And especially when that scene is in VR. Yeah, true, because you're in it. Wow. You're in it, and you know that it's a 360-degree camera, and that you never know where the person is going to be looking at any certain moment during a scene. Right. And so all these actors have to be aware of that 360-degree camera as being the audience. You're always on. It's theater in the round, bitch. That's fucking crazy. When I read him describe it as being Broadway, I was just like, of course it is. Of course (laughs) it's fucking Broadway, and that's why we love this so goddamn much. It was the Tetris moment where you have everything lined up and then you get the one long skinny to come down and clear the board like oh it all came together this is perfect (laughs) i get it now one of the biggest upgrades from london heist to blood and truth was the movement as i said the move controllers which both games utilized lack any kind of joystick or d-pad right 
in London Heist, you are stationary pretty much the entire time. Oh, okay. So you're not having to run shit. No, I mean, there's a part where you're sitting in a car. Okay. But, you know, you're not, like, moving at any point. You're always, like, sitting or maybe standing on a platform. Gotcha. In Blood and Truth, they found a way to allow for some level of movement. And much like a first-person shooter, there's a reticle in the center of your field of view, and it's just a white dot floating, like, in an indeterminate distance in front of you. Mm Mm-hmm. And throughout the maps, they created little spots you can move to by pointing the reticle in that direction. And then you push the action button on your controller. And then almost like a point and click adventure game, your character runs to that spot. Oh, very cool. That's clever. And with the PSVR being just a decent VR headset, the movement did cause some motion sickness issues in some people. Oh, no. So I totally can't play this. Got it. Oh, absolutely not. You would throw up all over our carpet. <laughs> and we can't afford that. No. <laughs> the game has settings to help like eliminate that problem a little bit, but it can be troublesome for a lot of people. Got it. Okay. So only the brave. The game also allows for the use of the DualShock 4 if you want to use it, but it's not nearly as immersive that way. And for the cast, they went largely with British television and film actors. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with a lot of these, but we do have a ton of British fans. So, for them... For Ellen! Felix Scott plays the main character, Ryan Marks. Jay Taylor plays his brother, Nick Marks. Natasha Little plays their mother, Anne Marks. Clarissa Clayton as the younger sister, Michelle Marks, Stephen Hartley as bad guy, Tony Sharp, and the most notable actor, in my opinion, being Colin Salmon, most recognizable for the Pierce Brosnan 007 movies, but he's a character actor you've seen in like a ton of productions over the years as Agent Carson. So there's no Marky Marks. That's kind of a letdown, but okay. Yeah, there's no real big names in this. It released exclusively on PSVR on May 28th, 2019. Sales figures haven't been really made public, but the PSVR itself only sold about 4 million units. And you can imagine it's likely a large percentage of them bought this game because it is considered the absolute best game on the PSVR. But it's capped out at 4 million tops, so... (laughs) It's definitely under that. Yeah, you'd expect, you know, 60 to 75% probably got one. Yeah, totally. And the Metacritic score of 80 is largely due to some of the technical limitations of the PSVR itself, more so than the quality of the game and its story. Okay, so it's not necessarily reflective of the writing or the performances. No, nobody really had complaints, but, you know, outside of, like, nitpicks. Outside of, I'm throwing up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Great game. I did throw up twice. Four stars. Four stars, right. You know, it's not like uh, you're throwing up because it was Outlast or it was oh my God. Dead Space. Why would you bring up Outlast right now? <laughs> Triggered. Well, instead of Outlast, this is Blood and Truth. We're in a room that is clearly an old, abandoned, like, warehouse kind of place. Oh, for sure. Like, think about, like, the Ghostbusters headquarters before they renovate it. <laughs> And we're sitting at an old-ass wooden folding card table, and there's a clipboard on the table with a photograph of a man and the name Ryan Marks at the top. Looking at the photo more closely, we see a 35- to 40-year-old man, neat-looking, light brown hair, kind of like almost blonde, 
wearing military fatigues with the British flag on the chest. There's also a big red stamp over his picture that says, Classified. Dun, dun, dun. A black man with an American accent walks in and refers to you as Ryan Marks. Oh. You don't know who he is or why you are here, and he assures you you're on the same side. He says his name is Carson. He tells you that sitting in a small room, alone, the rest of your life, is your current fate. You're wanted for terrorism, conspiracy, and literal countless murders. Aw, just the fun shit. He goes through your file and says that you were a part of the SAS, which is the British Army Special Forces Group that stands for the Special Air Service. Mm. It's their counterterrorism unit, essentially. Is that a real group? It is a real group. Okay, cool. You are a member of the SAS's Nomad Squad. As he reads, the scene fades out, and we're taken back in time a bit to a war-torn Middle Eastern town. You talk into your radio and say that you are a Nomad 2-1 and that you are going in for an extraction mission. They tell you to wait for just a moment as jets fly over your head and drop bombs on the building ahead of you. They were looking out for you. <laughs> May I ask here, as a player, what do you see when you interact? Is it a rectacle that is moving around just to interact, or do you have, like, glove hands kind of near where your move controllers are? So, yeah, you've always got that dot out in front of you, and then if you look down, you can see your hands. Yeah, so your wands are your hands. Okay, so you do see fists or something. You can see fists. You can make it actually flip a bird. You can make <laughs> it do, like, devil horns, thumbs up, a couple different, like, movements. Wait, that's so fucking cool that you could just casually have middle fingers and devil horns and shit as your standard hand motion. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of great screen gaps of people doing it, like, during an explosion. Oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. And so you only see your wrists and down to your fingertips, though. Got it. Okay. Thank so you. So kind of like these floating wrist creatures around. Like Rayman. Yeah, but you also look down to your sides and you can see your gun holsters. Oh, that's cool. And then on your chest, you can see your bandolier where you keep all your bullets. Mm. And then on your back, you can keep, I mean, like you can't turn around and look at your back, obviously, but that's yeah. where you can keep some of the bigger guns on your back as well. Cool. Got it. Thank you. And in order to reload your gun, you need to physically grab at your chest and then, like, move it to the gun in your hand in order to reload. Oh, shit. That sounds tedious. You know, they went for a lot of real detail. Like I said, their whole thing is to just kind of show off the peripherals of the PSVR. Right. And they do a fantastic job with a lot of the stuff. We're going to talk about a lot of the different ways that they show off a lot of the things that they were able to do. Well, it's immersive as hell. Extraordinarily immersive. In order to show off just how immersive it is, we start with an explosion from jets from above. <laughs> That's so fucking cool. After the jets pass by, they tell you that you are now clear to make your extraction. And always remember, this game is an action movie that they are throwing you into as the star and your first outing in this game is as a soldier in a literal war. Jesus Christ. And they use this war sequence to teach you the basic controls as this serves as the game's playable tutorial. And I'm like becoming increasingly fascinated by tutorials as we keep going through this show because like we keep seeing how each game does them. Yeah, like the art of teaching you the world. Yeah, because sometimes it's a part of the game, like in Psychonauts even. Yeah, where it goes on for two-thirds of the game. Yeah, and I fucking hate it. Or Red Dead, where it's just, 
the tedious snow level where you're forced to go slowly and you have to interact with every camp member to unlock different elements of the game. Yeah, and then sometimes it's in an arena where they teach you each button press, like in Kingdom Hearts, and I fucking love it. <laughs> and, like, here they did manage to make it a part of the game, and you do love it. Okay, I love that. That's very cool. So, yes, you're in a war scene, but you're special forces, so you're going in solo. You're kind of snapping necks and stabbing fools along the way. <laughs> and you get to try different gun types, both silenced and loud. And you even get to blow open a door with C4. Oh, that's fucking great. Yeah, and it surprises the guys on the other side, and it causes <laughs> time to slow down. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and you can shoot them a hundred times in the dick just before they die. You know, that is my favorite thing to do in anything I do, ever. And after you take out the guys behind the door, you find another British soldier tied up to a pipe in the same room. And his name is Mike Deacon. He's alive and very happy to see you. Yay! You're clearly friends as you trade insulting jabs at one another in a playful manner. <laughs> Just because, like, boys will be boys kind of shit where they're like, ah, I'm going to save your life, but I'm going to call you a bitch when I do it. Exactly, right? And it's British, so they're calling each other cunts the whole oh. time. <laughs> You're like, no, no, it's funnier. They say cunt. <laughs> That's great. And he asks you to get the cuffs off and you use your controller to literally pick locks using like lock picking tools. Ooh. Yeah, this is another one of those really cool ways they use the wands. And then in this next sequence, the two of you load up and head to the door. And he tells you to be ready. It's going to be a hornet's nest out there. Yeah, go get it, boys. He kicks open the door and you're looking out at a series of rooftops. And there are people everywhere with guns. Oh, that's great. Mike tells you to run, and the two of you go tearing ass across the rooftops, and it's a dead sprint while you're just, like, shooting. So the game has you just in constant motion while this is happening? Yeah, you're in constant motion during Very all this. Very cool. And when you jump from one roof to another, time always slows down, so you can, like, take out a whole bunch of guys while you're, like, flying through the air. <laughs> you can have dead eye while you're flying. Yeah, That's it's great. dead eye while you're flying. <laughs> That's fucking great. And you make it to a courtyard where the two of you steal a pickup truck. And then Mike drives as you crash through like a wooden garage door out into the single road beyond the small town you just invaded. And it kind of looks like uh, Team America World Police in that one like, <laughs> car chase scene out in the middle of the desert, you know? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and they chase you and like go through like uh, big oil fields and there's motorcycles flying and Humvees and all the, over these dunes and shit. Oh, shit. That's so cinematic. I love it. Oh, the whole thing is just like I said, they built out these set pieces first because they wanted it to feel so cinematic. And when you make it to the extraction point, there's a helicopter there. And the two of you expect to be taken back to the camp nearby where you were stationed. But they tell you that you'll be going to home base instead. Oh. Neither of you know why they would want that, but you're soldiers, so you just go along for the ride. We're then taken into the opening credits, like an old school movie that did opening credits. Oh, I love that. And it's just blackness with smoke periodically filling your field of view. <laughs> That's cool. And then we were just like seeing the cast's names fly by, all the while we're being told that we're brought back to home base for some bad news. Oh no. Your dad died of a heart attack while you were away. And apparently the British military gives way more of a shit about its soldiers than we do about ours here. <laughs> I was going to say, this is very unheard of that they'd even tell you. Yeah, because you're told your plane is already booked. Oh. 
and that you're going back to London. They care about him. That's lovely. Or this game is just full of shit and they're making us sound like the British military is as awesome as possible. Either way, it's fine. A little light propaganda never... You know, it, it did. It has hurt people. Never mind. It's a story. We're going with it. It's fiction. It's fine. You get to sit in a plane seat and do, like, nothing for, like, two minutes. You oh, can, it just makes you sit there? Yeah, you can, like, fiddle with the uh, tray table and, the, like, the shade and shit like that. You can... You're just the most annoying person on the plane. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of one of those kind of things, like... I've I've said before where Pixar made a few more hairs on a character and you're like, just look at all the things we learned. Yeah. <laughs> then you arrive at the airport and you're on the moving sidewalk. You see a man walking toward you holding a sign with your name on it. Oh. And as you get closer, he flips the sign over and on the other side in all caps it says, Twat. <laughs> Is that your brother? Yeah, he greets you. <laughs> I knew it. I love that. Yeah, he welcomes you laughing the whole time. And you're next in his fancy-ass convertible driving down the highway. Fun. And yeah, this is your slightly older brother, Nick Marks. The two of you bullshit on the way, and he introduces you to vaping. Oh my god! You can vape in this game? So you can vape in this game, and like, you have to actually vape. So you pick it up with the wand, obviously, and you have to bring it to your mouth. Oh my god. You have to suck. It, like, checks to make sure that you're making the sound of inhaling. And then make sure that you're making the sound of exhaling and blowing out to, like, see any vape coming out. What the fuck? Is it tobacco or weed? It's tobacco. Oh, what the fuck? Like, Come it's on. one of those big-ass battery pack ones, you know? Jesus. That's hysterical, though. Yeah, I'm, like, really surprised they actually got away with, like, doing this. Because, yeah, it's a mature-rated game. But, like, tobacco use? Yeah, but, you're, yeah, I still think you're assumed, like, a younger audience is still going to play this game. Yeah, and, like... Do people still smoke tobacco? You, you know, say vaping, my brain immediately goes to weed, but like, you know. <laughs> I saw a lady in Target just the other day doing it, so. <laughs> Target's like the place to vape right now. Every time I get in there, they're just fucking. You know what? I think it's the bullseye. They were like, oh, I want to make some circles. Like, right. it's subliminally saying, blow a smoke ring. I need the rings. Yeah. The two of you talk about how your mother is handling the death of her husband. Trying to keep it light while talking about death. Mm. You know, as they say in Scream 2, nothing brings the family together quite like a funeral. Facts. After we pull into the underground parking garage to the building with our family's penthouse suite, we finally get our title screen. Blood and Truth. Dun, dun, dun. We're back in what we're going to call the interrogation room. It's that abandoned building with the American man, Carson. So we're flipping through time. A bit here. A little bit. We're jumping back and forth in time. Got it. And we're going to get these scenes in between missions, much like we did in Until Dawn with the Doctor. Ah, okay. So some little interstitials throughout to break up the action. Yeah. There's a whiteboard now with a bunch of pictures, including yourself, your brother, and Mike Deacon, along with two others we haven't met yet. A younger woman with dark hair and a middle-aged bald man. He wants to know... What it was that drove you to commit all those acts of violence after the death of your father. <laughs> and PTSD isn't a good enough excuse, so don't blame it on that. <laughs> He's like, and before you pull this fucking card. Carson reveals that he is an ex-Delta Force member himself. And that's the American version of the SAS. You are apprehensive, and you test him a bit to make sure he's telling the truth. 
And ultimately, he's able to convince you, and you guess he must be CIA at this point in his career. Oh, shit. And he will never confirm nor deny this, like, ever. But everyone he talks about and references the rest of the game are all CIA, so he says it without really saying it. Okay. (laughs) That's kind of cool, though, that he's like, I will neither confirm nor deny, but, like, we know what you're up to, man. Yeah, he makes it clear that he doesn't want anything to do with your family business. And I just want to get out of the way. We never really find out what the family business is. That's cool. But you are a family member of a prominent British mafia family based in London. Fun! You left the family business to join the army. He needs information, and as special forces, you both know you need what is called ground truth which is inside information that is also accurate. So just actual truth. Yeah, actual truth, but they call it ground truth. Okay. And when you can confirm it as being ground truth, then you know you can act on it. Gotcha. We flash back again, and we're in our mother's office, and she's talking to the bald man from the picture on the whiteboard. His name is Clint, and he's the head of security for the family. He heads off to relay some security protocols to his team, while you and mom have a chat. You want her to not worry about the family business. You want her to just sell everything, get a motor home, and just spend the rest of her life traveling. Which I have literally said to my own mother after my dad died. <laughs> get a motor home and just travel the country? Yeah, I guess that's just a thing kids suggest to their mom when their <laughs> dad dies. You fell into that old trope. That old trope. She says, it's not that hard. Your dad would just sit around watching sports all day when he was alive anyway. (laughs) She's like, it's fine. I got this, guys. Yeah, this place runs itself at this point. (laughs) We just collect a check at the end of the day, really. And you can really sense the strength in mom, whose name is Anne. Like, she's really holding it together better than, like, any of the kids. Good for her. Hell yeah, mom. Yeah, she's basically doing her job of being there for the kids after their dad dies. Aww. And she's the kind of person who does her morning alone where nobody can see. I get you. And your conversation is cut short by gunshots coming from the hallway. Oh, shit. The head of security, Clint, comes barging in along with the dark-haired woman who was also in that picture on the whiteboard. Yeah. And her name is Michelle, and she's your younger sister by about 10 years. Oh, so there's a big age gap. Yeah. And both of them are firing guns down the hall as they enter. Another woman with a fashionable buzz cut comes around the corner, and she has your brother Nick in a headlock, holding a gun to his head. Oh, goddamn. She pushes him into the room and with the rest of you, and Clint says that she doesn't know who the fuck she's dealing with, and to put the gun down before, and she shoots Clint in the head. Oh my god, we just met him, what the fuck? She yells out that the room is clear. And a man in his mid to late 50s comes walking into the room. He looks at Clint on the ground and then back at the woman. And she shrugs and goes, he moved. (laughs) Oh my god. And he's a classic like Guy Ritchie style crime boss type named Tony Sharp. He dressed very well. Yeah, he's super well dressed. And you know, he's the kind of guy that says, do you know who I am before he does something badass? Oh, that's cool. And he says that he knows that this is a violent way to start a conversation, but, (laughs) you know, this is a business meeting. Oh my god, this is fucking great. I love him. He's a businessman after all. 
but it's hard getting your whole family together, and he needs all of you to agree to his proposal in order for it to work. Nick yells at him, and Tony threatens to shoot your mom in the face. And mom calms the room down and asks Tony what his proposal is. She's like, brass tacks, I'm not offering you tea, just fucking tell me what you want. And he says it's more or less a merger. He wants everything, and the family keeps doing exactly what it always did. Just now, instead of dad being in charge, he is. But the one thing he wants above all else is for you, Ryan, to fuck off back to the army. He does not want you involved in the family business at all. Oh. He tells your mom that he has a lot of respect for her and that he knows she'll do the right thing. Another man comes around the corner, a slumpy looking man with a deep receding hairline named Keech which is somehow short for Keith. No, it's not. The fuck? He's Tony's brother, and he's going to be overseeing the transition because he's a fucking Nepo baby. (laughs) I mean, Mafia and Hollywood, they're both very rampant with Nepo babies. That's true. It's all in the family. Yeah. Tony and the hostile woman leave, and Keech starts demanding all the books and paperwork at gunpoint. And the scene fades back to the interrogation room, and now Clint's picture has a big red X over it. Oh, so I appreciate that the CIA guy is, like, actively marking people off as they're dying in the story narrative. Yeah, they've added Tony and Keech's pictures along with a blank page with a question mark on it to represent the woman with the buzz cut. Ah. Carson wonders what relationship you had to Tony prior to your dad's death. Same, bitch. And you explain, you guys had zero relationship. Oh, shit. The families have always known of each other, but their businesses have never overlapped in any way. Oh, so they've like stayed on each other's blocks, you know, no crossing boundaries, no blood wars yet. Mutual respect, but kept their distance. Totally. Oh, shit. Tony just saw an opportunity and took it. And you say that your dad has actually done way worse to other families. (laughs) Carson then says that the one thing he can't figure out and is dying to know how the fuck did you get out of the penthouse and the scene fades back to the penthouse keech is sitting at what is clearly dad's old desk rifling through paperwork in the background and you and the rest of your family are sitting together about a dozen feet away whispering amongst each other about how to get out of this keech is bored from doing paperwork and brings over a bottle of expensive scotch And Nick keeps mumbling, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to fucking kill him. Hell yeah. While mom tries to calm him down. Wait, don't kill him. Right. And Keech wants one of you to pour him a drink. And he pulls a gun and asks, which one of you two Marx brothers is Groucho? Oh my God. So for our younger audience members, (laughs) it's actually like a really good joke. The Marx Brothers are an old comedy group consisting of five brothers named Chico, Harpo, Groucho, Gummo, and Zeppo. And they were brilliant comedians, and two of their movies are in the AFI Top 100 Best Movies of All Time. And they're called Duck Soup and Night at the Opera. And, like, there's only eight comedies on that whole fucking list. (laughs) And I, like, I've seen both, and I can tell you they both absolutely deserve their spot on that list as they are gut-bustingly hilarious to this day. I'm Warren from Life and Strange, aren't I? A little bit, yeah. Oh, fuck. He's more into cannibals and vampires, but you're definitely 
you're giving 19 year old film student who's I just went like, full war I there. saw something old. It was great. Well, it is funny. Anyway, Go Nick off. also thinks the reference is funny and goes on to explain it almost exactly how I just explained it to you all. Shut up. No, he didn't. But he did it very sarcastically, and I didn't do it condescendingly at all. So there. <laughs> so you're better? Keach then starts flirting with mom, saying, come on, Annie, have a drink with me. We can do shots. Oh, my God. And then he points his gun at her head and goes, pew, pew. Jesus Christ. Yeah, everyone laughs really uncomfortably, except Nick, who is actually laughing, genuinely. Is Nick okay? Well, he says, how are you going to do shots with the safety on? And Keach pulls his gun up to get like a better look to see if the safety is on. And this momentary distraction is all your family needs. (laughs) Oh, Nick's cool as fuck. I love Nick. The scene slows down and we watch as Michelle rips the gun out of Keech's hand while Nick jacks him in the teeth, knocking him out cold. (laughs) And Carson talks over the scene about the Marks family and how it's a well-oiled machine. And what you all did without ever making a plan is some straight-up gangster shit right there. Hell yeah, it is. You ask Carson what he would do next as a soldier in this situation. Carson says, you need to figure out who you can trust, regroup, make a plan, and reclaim. And you go, you're pretty gangster yourself there, Carson. (laughs) He's like, dead on. That's exactly what's about to happen. And the scene goes back to full speed, and you and the family flee down the fire escape. And climbing is another one of those, like, really cool features that they added into this game where you're just going to be using it a whole fuck ton. Okay. But using the, you know, move controllers, at least there is a grab function to it. And they do a lot of climbing of monkey bars, going up ladders and shit like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's actually a workout in some parts, but (laughs) that's part of VR. Yeah. You all regroup in a safe house, which is like an underground bunker looking place. Oh, that's cool. Fuck. I love everything about this. Everything you're telling me, I'm just like, this is cool as fuck. Yeah, the whole idea is just to be cool as fuck as long as humanly possible. Yeah. (laughs) And you set up an old beer pong table to start planning. Michelle is the techie one of the family, and she's been talking on the computer with as many connections as possible. She says that Tony has approached almost everyone, and that most have told him to fuck off. Reasonably. Mom also wants to make sure Clint's family gets a nice payout for his services. You know, set them up for life. Yeah. Nick is curious why Tony thinks he suddenly has the strength and authority to start a gang war. The Marks family has worked hard to make sure they are connected far and wide. Mom wants to swat this fly ASAP to show that the Marks family isn't weak just because dad died. Hell yeah. Michelle comes in saying she just found out Tony will be at a party at his casino later that night. Which will make him surrounded by his people and security. Obviously. So you decide to use your military sneaky sneak abilities (gasps) to go check it out. I love sneaky sneaks! Well, mom's not thrilled about it. But she knows you've dealt with literal terrorists. (laughs) So you are probably the best person to take the job. So despite being her son, she agrees to it. Nick takes you to the gun cache and you stock up and head to the casino. Once there, you find a maintenance entrance around back and pick the lock. And then you climb into an air vent. 
It's very uh, die hard. Yeah, you use the same like climbing mechanics, but this time to crawl around on your belly like you're coming out to the coast to have a few laughs. <laughs> and Michelle is there too, and she was able to hack your headphones into security's radio signal. She stays out of sight while you head further in. In one of the calls, they say that Tony will not be attending tonight. Oh, son of a bitch. But that everyone is to act as if he's there. But he's just too busy to see anyone. He's throwing an alibi party. I love it. Yeah, the call came in from Keech. Mm. And you figure you can at least make him tell you where Tony is. So you hack into a computer system and you watch on a security monitor as Keech enters into an office. And then Michelle cuts the power to it, trapping him inside. <laughs> so obviously it's probably one of those doors that's like electronically locked and secured and shit. So he's trapped in there. Yeah, he is. Hell yeah. You take the elevator to where his office is and tell Michelle to plant some C4 in the area where she's hiding. Damn, that's cool. Once she does that, you tell her to get out of the building. The power outage caused the casino to be evacuated. So they know you're here now and you have some great epic gunfights through the casino, ducking behind craps tables, roulette tables, all sorts of stuff. Is it a bougie casino? It's a small casino, but it is bougie. Yeah, it's for the very wealthy. Okay, so it's kind of like the scene in Black Panther where they go to meet Claw to get the arm and shit, that kind of situation. Yeah, I would say very much like that. Cool. And along the way, you're setting C4 charges of your own. <laughs> yeah. And you stalk the hallways, the back rooms of the casino, shooting guards, taking cover in doorways and alcoves, blowing up fire extinguishers. And you finally make it to Keech's office. You break in and he takes off running out a back door and out into the hotel's hallways. Pussy. And you need to take him alive because my instinct was to just shoot him in the leg. <laughs> just get him knocked down so you can grab him yeah yeah they didn't want me to do that so you have to chase him oh and he throws luggage trolleys at you he's like boxes suitcases paperwork and like he's tripping over shit <laughs> and there are guards shooting you this entire time and you have to shoot back while also going at full sprint love it and i think like maybe 45 security guards lay down their lives for keech oh my god as he keeps like bumbling his way through the hotel hallways I like that he's stupid. Oh, he's very dumb. <laughs> and the chase only ends because he is finally just out of breath and can't go any further. Oh, he just gets winded? Yeah, he gets winded. <laughs> That's why he's the number two and not the number one. That's fucking hysterical. You demand to know where Tony is, and Keach says he never really sees Tony anymore. Oh, shit. He's like, I'm not even that important, my guy. Tony doesn't tell him anything as he's always spending time with his new quote unquote special friends. Ooh. You ask about these special friends and a door down the hall kicks open and a man is standing there with a rail gun <gasps> yelling that you better run. I love a rail gun. Keech points at you and says, don't let the bastard get away. And the guy with the rail gun has no idea how to use it. Oh, shit. <laughs> and loses control, mowing Keech down where he stands. <gasps> oh, that's fucking funny. Stupid ass Keech died like a stupid ass. <laughs> you take off running down the opposite hall, full sprint towards a window. And you dive through the window, shattering it. And you're way up like the 10th floor. Oh, no. And you manage to just barely grab a neon sign from the casino. And you're, like, climbing on the outside of the building now, which you do, like, so much in this game. That's great. 
and you overhear a radio call that Tony will be gone again tomorrow as he's needed at his art gallery. You climb through a vent and get back inside the casino. Michelle calls you and says that she's still not out of the building. There are guards blocking her way. So you find the nightclub and go to the DJ booth. Where you spin the ones and twos like it's night two of Coachella. Wait, shut the fuck up. You have to DJ in this game? You have to DJ in the game. And the whole <laughs> mixing board actually works. Fuck off. Wait, that's so fucking cool. They even have a whistle where you like have to physically blow to make <gasps> work. Oh, that's cool. And it accurately measures like the strength of your breath and exports that to the whistle. This is insane how just the technology is insane here. Yeah, they put so much detail into like even the little things. One thing I'd never found, but one of the programmers said is one of the desks in the game, and there are a lot of fucking desks that you go through. Yeah. Has a piece of gum underneath that you can interact with. (laughs) That's crazy. What the fuck? But you don't get much time to be DJ Groucho as this distraction brings the remaining security forces to your location. You fight it out with them while Michelle makes her escape. Eventually, the guy with the railgun comes in. That dumbass. And he shoots not at you, but at your DJ booth, (laughs) taking out the supports and sends you crashing down to the nightclub below. This guy's not great at what he does, but he's like failing successfully. He keeps coming in at the right moments. Yeah. You keep fighting until you get to a glass elevator. And it's one of those fancy glass elevators, too, that's, like, all gold trim. Fun. And, like, you would find it, like, a cruise ship or a tall building with, like, that open center concept. Yeah, there's one at the Luxor. And you get in and push down. You descend into the casino floor below. And the final members of security take cover behind the same tables you were using for cover before. And they take aim at your trapped ass in this tiny glass elevator you're literally in a glass case of emotion just like fuck and you say time to blow this fucker (gasps) as you pull out a detonator and you watch as the c4 explosives you've been planting blow up killing everyone in the room and leaving tony's casino in absolute ruin (laughs) are you safe in this little glass elevator yeah you're safe in this elevator how oh it's probably bulletproof because tony it's just a movie Okay. Yeah. <laughs> don't, keep, don't think too hard. <laughs> yeah. But keep in mind, this is VR. You're not watching this on a screen. You're in it. This is happening in front of you. That's fucking sick. You are back in the interrogation room and Carson is fucking impressed. <laughs> He's just like, this is fucking great, man. Oh, he has a full blown man crush on you for that move. Oh, I love it. And he pulls back the whiteboard and now Keech's face has an X over it. <laughs> And like you were saying, like the timeline does get a little confusing because these interrogation scenes are happening in like a different time. Yeah. But he is following you, like you said, in real time throughout the story. It does truly feel like the interstitials in Until Dawn of like, we are clearly in a different time and space, but we are following what is currently happening to the player. Very fun. I appreciate it. And as Carson breaks down the events of the casino, you say that it was a gas leak and that nobody was reported injured. (laughs) Um, actually. And Carson's like, yeah, lucky for you, that's how it was reported. He's like, for legal reasons, it was a gas leak, sir. He asks, what did you do next? And you say that you needed some culture. Back at the safe house, the family discuss how to get into the art gallery. You once again are like, I'm just going to go in there stealthy. Yeah. And Michelle goes, what, with a beret and an easel? <laughs> like a cheese ball painter. 
And then Nick gives you a pair of glasses and says, here, put these on. And it totally works, right? And he and Michelle are like, oh my God, what happened? Where'd Ryan go? <laughs> I like that they're dicks about their brother. Like that that feels the most real to me. Oh, they make such a perfect little family. I love them. <laughs> and just before you head out, Michelle gets an email from Tony. It's a video message. And it's just him screaming mad. <laughs> and he's threatening the family. Keech didn't deserve that. Fuck you. He kind of did. He's a dumbass. Then he starts looking around asking, where's that military woman? And here we find out her name is Kayla. Nick just laughs at it and asks if you're ready to go and you depart. They're like, okay, have your meltdown in my Gmail, sir. We're going to go. Leave him on red. Yeah, fully. You go to the art gallery as just a fan of the arts and you take the <laughs> audio guided tour hosted by Tony himself. Oh my God, what a fucking pretentious prick. But it's really cool because, you know, you're wearing headphones playing on a VR headset. And when you put on the headphones, it's like you're wearing another set of headphones over it. Oh, yeah. But you also get Tony in your fucking ear. So <laughs> and take a bio shot because this reminds me of an infinite when you're going through that like little Comstock history lesson museum. Yeah. And you can play the like and then Comstock shaved everyone. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, and everything's, like, really interactive, but it's mm -hmm. also altered history bullshit. Yeah. It's like Comstock liberated everyone to Columbia and, like, all that shit. And then there's, like, the cardboard pop-outs and shit. Like, it's very bad, but it's very funny. Yeah, and you're not really here to fight. You're here for recon. Okay. One of the most impressive things about this game is this is an art gallery, at least, that I don't think could exist in reality. Oh, interesting. And I mean that in the best way possible. It's just almost too bombastic to exist. In terms of its architecture and structure, or in terms of the art being displayed? Kind of both, actually. Oh, yeah, like okay. there's a section where you can use a paint gun that shoots paint at a section of wall to kind of have an ever-evolving piece of artwork on display. Oh, very avant-garde. And all the artwork throughout is like a little Banksy, but I'd put it more on the level of like Mr. Brainwash that it's a ripoff. <laughs> Oh, I like that a lot. And like there's one room that's an anamorphic room where as you enter, you're presented with an image of a bullseye. But as you move closer, you realize this image is painted over like so many different surfaces that it breaks up into parts of just lines. Oh, those are cool. Yeah. And Tony's narration describes it as being like life. You have to get all the different perspectives in order to complete the picture. You eventually overhear some security guards talking about a lazy coworker who sleeps on the job and which shift he works. That's very convenient. Right. And you also catch that the code to get to the behind the scenes part of the museum is the same as the year the Titanic sunk. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that feels pretentious. I can't really put my finger on why, but it feels pretentious. I mean, it might just be like the way he remembers it. I don't know, which is 1912, if you know it. You get back to the safe house and the family is talking about someone named Charlie, the head of another London crime family. Remember we said that the first thing a gangster would do is find out who they can trust? Yeah. And they've determined this person, Charlie, and his people will be able to keep mom safe while she goes to rally those that all still support the Marx family. Okay. Charlie's men arrive and mom goes off with them. You and Nick decide to go break into the museum at night when that lazy security guard is working. You go up to the roof of the museum and pop open a latch in the windowed ceiling and descend down using a rope with Nick. When you're doing this, are you in that like all black with the black beanie outfit? 
like you can you can never see yourself. Oh, is Nick in there at least? Nick's in there in just like his normal suit. Oh god damn it. He just dressed normal like it was his normal day. Does not appreciate the uh fucking drama of breaking into an art gallery. Come on, buddy. No, but they're also not really trying to hide themselves as you're going to find out. Okay. You enter a room full of these really tall like pillar style shelves. And on the shelves are these giant three-dimensional shapes like you'd find in a bag of D&D dice. <laughs> and they're all glowing bright neon colors and are about the size of beach balls. And there's about a dozen of these pillar shelves all around the room. Nick dares you to knock one over like a big brother does. Their dynamic is fucking perfect. Oh yeah, they're wonderful together. And you pull the support out for one, and it starts a domino effect, taking out <laughs> literally every last pillar. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Oh, and Nick thinks so too, and he's laughing the whole fucking time. <laughs> and the two of you just very casually go through all the exhibits of the museum. And they're all really fucking cool and kind of interactive for like both the customer and the gamer itself. That's really cool. Yeah, there's lots of bright lights and music that react to your movements, all sorts of things. Again, they're really just showing off kind of the VR, but also making an art exhibit out of it. I mean, that's a really great way to showcase cool shit. And then in this room full of nightmares, <laughs> it is pitch black and there are a ton of mannequins. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Hard no. And all of these mannequins are looking down at cell phones that have just like a blue light that shines up in their faces, but then it turns off. I'm so sick of metaphors about technology. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. Get over yourself. Well, as you continue through the museum, the two of you keep fucking up like all the exhibits. Just but breaking shit? I say all. Actually, not all. Just some of them. You just pick a couple to be like, fuck you. Yeah. That's great. And finally, you make it to the room where you saw the two security guards talking about the passcode. And if you know the year, you can enter it or you can hack the security system and break in that way. Once you're in the back room, it's more of an office than a back of house area. So there's like lots of art wrapped up, lots of paperwork and a big ass desk. The two of you dig around to find info on Tony in order to figure out how he gained so much power and influence so quickly. Totally. You find a manifest with a bunch of artwork on it, showing it's being shipped all over the world. Mm. Nick says that's how your dad got his start, selling shit to outside the country and loading that shit with guns and drugs. Oh, okay. So the art is the smuggle front. Yeah, but your dad always had to use boats. Tony is using airplanes, which suggests much deeper pockets than anyone realized Tony was capable of having. Totally. Yeah, and like, Security through air tariffs versus boat tariffs and shit. It's very different. Interesting. This means someone else is backing Tony. He's being bankrolled somehow. Yeah, that's what's giving him all this unearned confidence. You two decide to take the paperwork to Michelle to see if she can figure out what he would be moving that would match like the weight on the manifest of mm. some of the smuggling operation. That makes sense. Got it. On your way out of the museum, Nick finds a giant portrait of Tony. And you use that paint gun you saw during the recon to destroy it. Hell yeah. Fuck you, Tony. And Nick loves your work so much, he asks to take a selfie with you in front of it. Because <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, I hope he remembers to enter it in the Everyday Heroes contest. Oh my god. <laughs> Who would win?
win a selfie contest, Nick Marks or Max Caulfield? For this piece of work, I got to say it's going to go to Nick Marks. You know what? I, I got to agree. The danger level's higher. The creativity is a little bit higher. It tells more of a story than, you know, sad girl looking at sad pictures. It's like planking on railroad tracks. <laughs> Still stupid. <laughs> but go fuck your selfie. Driving home, the two of you actually see Tony driving to his gallery. Oh, no, it's that Umbrella Academy meme where they're driving and go past each other and look at each other. He is totally giving the exact same fucking face. Yes! I love that. And Nick gives him, like, the classic jerk-off hand sign, and you both laugh at him and call him a wanker. (laughs) Back in the interrogation room, Carson asks about the airport. You describe it as a small commercial airfield. No passenger flights go in or out. And Carson calls his people and tells them to go to the airfield and take everything of Tony's. But whoever is on the other line tells him he has to do this on his own. Ooh. He hangs up and turns to you saying, we need to talk about Freeson. Who or what is Freeson? You fade back to the safe house with Nick and the two of you are celebrating your mini heist at the museum. And as you two imagine the look on Tony's face when he walks into the gallery, Michelle comes in hot and angry. She tells you both to shut the fuck up. (laughs) I love her. Because Charlie's men are all dead. Oh, shit. And mom has gone missing. Oh, no. And right on cue, Michelle's phone rings and she says it's mom calling. She puts it on speaker and Tony's voice comes through the line. Son of a bitch. He says he saw you two laughing it up outside his gallery, so he's taken your mother hostage. If we want her back, you, Ryan, have to go alone to Freeson Towers. And you can hear Anne yell in the background to stay away. Oh. Nick fucking loses it. Oh my god, of course. Is Nick older than Ryan? Yeah, just by a couple years. Like two, three years older. Yeah, Nick's losing it after hanging up, and he is ready to kill fucking everyone. And Michelle explains that Freeson Towers is an abandoned building that's scheduled for demolition. So the three of you head off to go rescue mom. You get to the towers and the two of them go off to do their own mini missions while you head in straight guns fucking blazing. Totally. Because they were totally expecting you anyway. Yeah. And this is a great set piece being a construction site and like a relatively tall building. And there's propane tanks to blow up, sending henchmen flying. Oh, I love that. Oh, so much awesome action movie shit. And while you try to sneak your way to your mom, Michelle discovers that Tony has small businesses all over the country that have been like setting up as fronts. Oh, shit. And he's basically setting up a distribution network all over the UK. Wow. And they're all very different businesses under fake names, so nobody even noticed it was Tony building up an empire. Interesting. Using your insane climbing skills, <laughs> you manage to shimmy up the side of the building and find where your mom is being held hostage. It's giving Nathan Drake. like <laughs> A little bit. It is very much Nathan Drake, but you're doing it yourself this time. Hell yeah. Yeah, so the inside of this building is just like, because it's all set for demolition, they're unfinished walls and rooms and like there's a big ass shootout on your way just to the room with your mom oh that's great and you get to the room with her in it and they've set up a whole electric fence enclosure for her oh my god like she's a sheep yeah and she's like handcuffed to a pipe and shit too oh my god she yells at you because you did exactly what she said not to do (laughs) 
and you're like, shut up. I killed so many people and climbed a 20-story building from the outside to get here. Ma! But you can't get her out until you shut down the electric fence, which is being run off of... No. ...a generator. But this is the opposite, where you don't turn a generator on. You gotta turn the generator off. Yes, you have to turn it off instead of turn it on, but... It subverts expectations. You know... There's still always a goddamn generator. There is always a goddamn generator. You turn off the electricity, but mom's still separated by the fencing itself. Fortunately, her side also has a door that leads to a staircase, so she heads off in that direction after you pick her lock. Nick says he has a car waiting for her at the base of the building and for you to get out any way you can. And since you came up the side of the building, you have no idea where another set of stairs are. (laughs) Doesn't matter, though, because demolition has begun. Oh, my God. The floor under you blows out, and you fall a story to the room below. Michelle radios you and says to run to the north end of the building. She has an idea. (laughs) This will be great. The mom's okay, right? Yeah, mom's running out through. She had her own set of stairs on her side of the wall. Yeah, but she's, like, making it, right? Like, she's not going to get hit by a wrecking ball? Right. Okay, I'm scared for mom. You take off through the halls, which is still full of Tony's henchmen, and the walls are exploding all around you, and you, like, kill a dozen people as all of you are trying to escape the exploding building. (laughs) And you are in the last hallway that's northbound, and there's nothing but a wall at the end of it. But Michelle says not to worry, keep going. As you sprint, a fucking crane bursts through (gasps) the side of the wall, and it just destroys what's left of the entire building. And it reveals the sky beyond. And you jump and try to catch the crane, but it's so far out and you begin to fall looking straight down at 20 stories of air beneath you. Oh my god, Michelle, you fucked up. But swinging under the crane is a shipping container attached to a cable and like the whole thing, like time slows down just long enough for you to be able to grab the ledge of it. Oh my god, Michelle, you are stressing me out, baby girl. And Michelle safely sets you down in the rubble of the building that imploded just as you left to safety. Oh, my God. Once down, Mom pulls up in a red convertible. (laughs) That's so fucking cool. Laughing and cheering, and she tells you to hurry and get in. That's so fucking cool. God, I love Mom. And you run to her, and as you do, you can hear the sound of a motorcycle approaching. Time slows down again, and you watch that military bitch Kayla come flying in on a motorcycle and she unleashes every bullet in her clip into your mother's back. (gasps) No. And you watch her fall down dead at your feet. (gasps) Fuck you, military bitch. Kayla turns her bike around and tears away into the dusty rubble. Oh my God, I'm so mad. Michelle runs up having just gotten out of the crane and falls down crying at her mother's dead body while the sounds of sirens and helicopters can be heard approaching. The scene fades, and we're back in the interrogation room. Is there an X over your mom's picture now? No, your mom never had a picture. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's like, wait, that one's actually going to hurt a little bit. Oh, my God. Well, we're now caught up in time to the interrogation scenes. They picked you up after that incident occurred, and that's where the game started. Oh, shit. So going forward... There are no more flashbacks. Got it. Carson says, nobody knows where your brother is. He offers to help find him. If you can help him find whoever the fuck is backing Tony financially. You were trying to find that out anyway. So, I mean, okay. 
Because like even with his little side hustles all over the country, the math is still not mathing. Okay, interesting. And you're like, ah, so now we've figured out the point. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, the core concept. This whole interrogation was an attempt to recruit you to help take down Tony along with whoever is controlling him. Interesting. Carson says that the proof is that bitch Kayla. She doesn't work for Tony. She works for a secret organization that is trying to kind of take over the world. Oh, shit. Like a New World Order or Illuminati kind of shit. Oh, no. Carson has been tracking this group for years and says that they have infiltrated literally every level of government agency in the world. Oh, my God. Every time he gets close to them, they vanish without a trace. Wow. The only reason Carson is here is because when Tony had Charlie's men killed and kidnapped your mother, that was way too big of an operation for someone of Tony's power to pull off in under an hour. Oh, shit. That's like that Breaking Bad scene where everyone died at the same time kind of shit. Yeah. Damn. Carson wants to report that you died at the Frieson Tower incident. <gasps> this way, they won't see you coming. Literally a ghost. And you agree to it as long as Michelle will be safe and no charges will be brought after this is all over. Hell yeah. He says it's a deal, and the two of you, very awkwardly in VR, shake hands. <laughs> I appreciate that there's still some clunkiness. Oh, it's so clunky trying to <laughs> shake his fucking hand. It's you so kind of miss a couple times, yeah. and you're like, God damn it. It is not easy to do, and it looks stupid. <laughs> you take Carson to your safe house, and he's like, we tried to find this place so many fucking times. And you look around and things are out of place and you say, Nick must have been here. You find his plan and he has gone to the airport that Tony has under his thumb and he's taken a bunch of guns with him. <laughs> that wall is entirely missing, so I know he's ready to fucking fight. You and Carson decide to go and try to stop whatever Nick is up to. And Carson stays on comms while you go to infiltrate. You break into one of the hangars and there's a big ass postal service plane in there. And you sneak into an office and find manifests going out all over the world. You match the manifests to some crates, and Carson asks you to give him the serial numbers on the crates to confirm. You pop open one of the crates, and instead of being hard drives like the manifest says, it has high-tech military-grade automatic weaponry. Ooh. Further inspection of some other crates reveals a black market body organ trade as well. Oh my god! It's, it's literally the dark web. He yeah. runs the dark web. And you're confused as hell because why would anyone do this? Yeah. <laughs> and Carson explains. People in power still have to go on the waiting list for organs if something bad happens to them. So let's say a Supreme Court judge has a daughter that needs a new kidney. They get to skip the line, but now they owe this organization a favor. Ugh. So the judge looks the other way while they sell weapons to both sides of a given conflict. And it never fucking ends. Yeah, holy shit. You search for Nick, but you don't find him. You just find signs that he's been there. <laughs> so wait, when you say signs he's been there, I'm assuming that's bodies and blood. Yeah, basically. Okay. <laughs> You eventually get found, and you have another epic shootout as you escape the hangar. And back in the safe house, you video chat with Carson. He says that the stuff you found was all proof that Tony is just a middleman for some very 
powerful people. I appreciate that at every point, everyone is undercutting Tony. They're like, he's way too fucking stupid and yeah. powerless to do any of this shit. So he's clearly being puppeted by someone much worse. And at every turn, as it's being confirmed, they're like, but Tony's too fucking stupid for this. So. Yeah, the whole time, everybody's just like, the giveaway is Tony is dumb as hell. Yeah, <laughs> it's the condescending Tony talk for me, for sure. They ran the serial numbers you had given, and after digging through half a dozen fake companies associated to the serial numbers, they finally got an address. He wants you to go to the address and see what you can find. But this time, he's sending along some help. Ooh. The door to the safe house opens, and your friend from war, Mike Deacon, comes through with a couple of pizzas. He brought pizza? Does he walk in fully like, it's pizza time, let's go? Entirely. And Deacon has no idea who Carson is or who he works for, but he has some serious clout and got him taken off special ops just to come on this mission. Oh, that's fun. So he's like, yo, man, it's a fucking party. But the top pizza box does not have pizza, unfortunately. Oh. It has photographs of the building you're going to break into. Did the other ones have pizza? It did have pizza. Hell yeah. It's pizza time. And you devise a plan together to do some recon using a remote-controlled drone. And you throw on, essentially, a VR headset to pilot this drone. On top of your VR headset. Right. (laughs) That's fucking sick. It's another construction zone, but this one is being built instead of demolished. You cause some damage with the drone that sets off the alarm system so that they have to call someone to come out and fix it. You finish your recon and head into the construction zone disguised as the electrician that's going to fix the alarm. Oh, clever. And your goal is to install a device that will disable the generator powering the site. Because there's always a goddamn generator. (laughs) But again, we're turning it off. I love how generators are haunting you specifically. As well as add a Trojan horse computer virus into their system for Carson. Nice. And like this sequence had really good direction because after each step of the infiltration, you flash back to the safe house and you and Deacon go over the next part of the plan. Oh, that's cool. So it's like a very well edited spy movie. Yeah, exactly. Love that. And which, of course, includes another four story climb up the outside of a building. Avi. And the construction foreman is staying in one of the suites in this building while it's under construction. So you break into his apartment and steal his access card. Nice. Once you have your access card, you leave the site and go to a very tall building about half a mile away and wait for nightfall when the employees will be gone. When the generator shuts down, you only have about 20 seconds to get inside before the backup generators go on. So you jump off the building you're on. Oh, my God. And pull a parachute. And you glide into the construction site just as the generator shuts down, plunging it into darkness. You sneak inside the building and go to the elevator. You open the doors and the elevator is like not there. It's one floor up. Oh, so you're just seeing the elevator like bank. Yeah, you're looking down the shaft. And you look down to see it goes deep into the ground, despite there not being a basement included on the blueprints. You grab onto the underside of the elevator, and Deacon remotely controls it to go down. You get out at one of the subfloors, and you find a room that looks like something out of NORAD or the Pentagon. What the fuck? It's clearly built for massive surveillance. Oh, shit. 
And Deacon is like, you didn't say Tony was a fucking supervillain. <laughs> and you tell him, this isn't Tony. This is whoever the fuck is backing him. Again, Tony is too stupid for this. Yeah, Deacon's new to this entire situation. Yeah. And he immediately knew Tony's too dumb for this shit. He's like, this isn't Tony, right? <laughs> Poor fucking Tony. Like, yeah, fuck Tony, but like, stupid fucking Tony. Deacon says he's found a crate of medical supplies, but when he opened it, it was full of gold bars. Oh, shit. They didn't even, like, align it like medical supplies could have been all the kidneys and shit. Like, where's your eye for theme? Right. Fuck you. At least give it, like, some kind of thing. Like, then you can say, like, oh, the manifest is fucked up. Yeah. You tell him not to touch it, as it's clearly bribe money and will be used as evidence later. You get further into the building and find the computer where you can upload the virus. While the virus uploads... You get into a major firefight, and Deacon is not responding on comms. Oh no. The bad guys eventually throw out some kind of gas canisters, and you are not prepared for it. Ah, shit. And the world goes black as you burst into a coughing fit and collapse. No! Your whole life flashes before you as you are unconscious, with images and phrases we've heard thus far in the game. And you finally wake up, and bitch-ass Kayla is singing to you about killing your mom. Jesus Christ. And Tony is with her. And you were tied up to a chair while he tells you that he wanted you not to push back on this hostile takeover. He says, your dad is dead, your mom is dead, and you're next. Because why the fuck did you think you could kill his little brother and get away with it? He then signals to Kayla. And she pushes over a big cart that looks like it might carry laundry or, like, large quantities of mail. Uh-huh. But it's not carrying any of those things. It's carrying the beaten and bruised dead body of your brother, Nick. <gasps> no! He says he has one more family member to go visit. Your sister, Michelle. And he tells Kayla to torture any information out of you. And then kill you like your brother as he leaves the room. Oh, my God. God, that is so, like, anticlimactic to have Nick die off screen. Oh, right. That fucking sucks. And it hurts to just see his dead body flop over anticlimactically, too. Uh, like, he's such a great character. I love him. He's fucking hilarious. And he just vanishes. And that's part of making a great character, too. If you just get them taken away from you without warning, it just makes it that much better. No, but also sucks. that much worse. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not in the better stage. I'm in the angry stage. Fuck. Well, there are stages of grief. Yeah. Anger. I'm in anger <laughs> and denial. Maybe he's OK. No, he's definitely not OK. I can tell you that definitively. Fine. I'm back to anger. Fuck you. After he leaves, Kayla makes a phone call. She says it's 33. I'm in position and I haven't been compromised. Whoever is on the other line says something that makes her look at you and she says, you're sure? Okay. She hangs up and says, it's your lucky day. And she goes to the door that Tony had just walked through, opens it, and shoots the guard on the other side. She says that people like yourself and her get used by governments and their militaries. And you get trained to be killers and to be ruthless and that you never get to live the life that you want. All that being said, she is simply a soldier tasked to a mission just like you. She's like a bitch-ass soldier, though. Fuck you. Tony could have been running all of London by now if he hadn't have gone off book and attacked your family. Oh. 
yes, she killed your mom, but that was on orders. And a soldier such as yourself understands orders. She also says she wishes she could have had a chance to work with your dad. She liked his way of doing business way more than Tony. Everyone hates Tony. She tells you that before your dad died of a heart attack, he was working with her group. And he was poised to take over London. Oh. But after he died, they made the offer to Tony and gave him all of your father's secret assets he'd accumulated while working for them. So this entire secret underground world that was being built wasn't being built by fucking Tony. It was being built by Ryan's dad. Wow. And if you've ever worked for a company that's had like a takeover by new ownership or management, mm-hmm. you know that they will typically come in and just like destroy everything that the previous regime had done. Yeah. And it's for absolutely no other reason than just like it wasn't their idea. Totally. And she tells you to be like your dear old dad and join her team. Because Carson is just a hippie-ass loser trying to bring world peace. And that's just never going to happen. A hippie. He's still a CIA agent. Like, shut up. You come from a crime family. Embrace that fact. And she really just assumes you're going to go along with her plan. And she says, are you ready? And she stabs herself. (gasps) And cuts herself up on, like, different parts of her body. And she's fucking loving it like the little psychopath she is. She's a fucking lunatic. And bleeding-ass Kayla frees you from your restraints and tells you to tell Carson that Amanda says hi. What the fuck? And she hands you a gun and leaves through the same door Tony did. When you go to escape, you make it to the parking garage and you're limping and hurt. And when a crowd of security comes to you and draw their guns on you, You radio for Deacon to come help because when you go to use the gun Kayla gave you, it's out of fucking bullets. Yeah, go figure that bitch. You hear Deacon yell out, is that all you have, you bastards? (laughs) As he comes crashing through a wall in a gigantic armored military van. Oh shit, that's so cool. Yeah, and he's running over guards in the process. The side door pops open and you jump in and lay waste to the chasing security team with like these machine guns you find in the van. Nice. And while escaping and blasting, Carson radios. He says, you need to regroup and make a plan to save Michelle. But you say, fuck that. You're going now. You follow that up by asking, who the fuck is Amanda? And this question rattles Carson. Uh Uh-oh. And he's like, why'd you ask that? You explain that Kayla called herself Amanda and that she clearly knows Carson. Carson says he needs to talk to some people because this is alarming that Amanda is involved now. This bitch. But he doesn't really clarify what that means and hangs up. You and Deacon decide to take this van back to Tony directly so you can save Michelle. Deacon says he'll be on comms and will draw security away while you sneak in. And you're in that same building from before, the one that is almost complete, but nobody's really moved in yet. Oh, yeah. And you shoot a shitload of henchmen as you make your way through the building. And knowing that Tony is an egomaniac, you and Deacon agree he would definitely move into the penthouse. Oh, yeah, entirely. So you decide to go there first. But you also can't find any elevators that go all the way to the top. Is it time to climb? Oh, yeah. And this is an action movie. So you're like leaping from balcony to balcony, ziplining, 
helicopters are firing in through the windows. Oh, shit. There's explosions. There's more henchmen to kill than you could possibly count. And while you're searching, Michelle radios and says she managed to get herself free and that she's going to meet up with you. You try to tell her that that is literally one of the oldest tricks in the kidnapping handbook. (laughs) But the radio cuts out as the room you're in fills with guards. He's like, God damn it. And you continue to shoot your way through this building, doing more and more insane parkour stunts. And you even get to do that, like, one born identity stunt where you jump from a balcony and crash through an apartment window across the way. Oh, that's great. And you get to a hall that has an elevator at the end. The door opens and a man is there with a grenade launcher pointing right at you. Oh, my God. You shoot him and he falls over, launching a grenade inside the elevator. <laughs> And you watch it bounce all around the walls and eventually explode, sending the elevator crashing down to the floor beneath. Oh. You step out onto the roof of this elevator and you get to, like, pull a matrix next. Oh. And you grab the elevator cable and shoot the coupler to release it from the elevator. So you fly? Yeah, this sends the elevator straight down, pulling your cable straight up. You just fly up. Yeah, and the rest of the grenades in the henchman's launcher explode when they hit the ground. Ah! And the shaft fills with a fireball that chases you up. That's so fucking good. And fortunately, it dissipates just as you reach the top of the shaft. And you climb onto the top floor, which is roof access. Again, shitload of guards. And you gotta kill all of them. And then this roof overlooks the balcony of the penthouse. So you drop down to it by, like, sliding down one of those sloped sets of windows, you know? Oh, cool. And then you crash through the glass ceiling of the penthouse itself and land on their grand piano. You see a door and you strap some dynamite to it to blow the door open. As you burst through, the world is in slow-mo and you see three people in there. And you blast at all three. Two fall down dead, but the third stays standing. Uh Uh-oh. It's Tony and he's behind a bulletproof glass wall in his office. That son of a bitch! An elevator door opens behind him, and he just kind of enters it without a word, laughing at you. Ugh, I hate him so much. You let Deacon know, and he says to take the stairs down, as it's the fastest way out. Michelle radios and says she's already in the garage downstairs, and that she'll meet you there. As you get to the garage, you see Tony and his team haul ass out in their dozen black SUVs. And Michelle pulls up in Mom's red convertible, and tells you to hurry and get in. While you're chasing Tony, Michelle goes, and where the fuck is that useless shitbag Nick? Oh. I've checked all his usual spots and no one knows where the fuck he is. Oh no. Yeah, you have to tell her that Nick is dead. Mm. And she damn near loses it and starts having like a mini panic attack. Reasonably. But she finds her courage as you finally catch up to Tony. And she goes into like, pure concentration mode so you can pull up alongside like these SUVs and kill every last one of these motherfuckers. Hell yeah, Michelle. And it's like the chase scene in Bad Boys 2 here. (laughs) They're throwing cars at us, man. (laughs) Dan Marino should get this car. Not this one. I'll fuck this one up. Well, Michelle's gonna fuck this car up. Hell yeah, Michelle. Michelle chases Tony and his gang to his airport and you bust through out onto the runway And you can see Tony's plane on it taking off. Oh, shit. And you tell Michelle to fucking chase it. Yeah. 
and you end up under the jumbo jet. <gasps> no, that's fucking crazy. And you have her pull up to one of the wheels of the plane and you jump from the hood of her car <laughs> and catch it just as the plane lifts off into the air. That's some Tom Cruise shit. Oh, yeah. And then it pulls the wheels up into it. Oh, my God. But I want to stop here for just a quick. Why? No. What just happened is not possible. Oh, okay. And I'm not saying that in the sense of like, oh, this is an action movie kind of over the topness. Yeah. What I mean is that there is absolutely no access to the inside of a plane from the wheel well. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for plane anatomy corner. For real. I have a cousin who worked for a major airline. And he once told me that in the 15 years he spent working there, not a single week went by where he didn't hear about some poor soul dying because they tried to sneak onto an airplane through the wheel well. Oh, shit. So this is a common misconception. We're saving lives here. Yeah. Well, it's usually in like third world or war torn countries where this is happening. Like a refugee situation. Yeah. And when the plane pulls up its tires... The only space that's available in there is for the fucking tires. So they get smushed? Yeah, body gets instantly crushed and destroyed. Oh, that's very sad. So don't ever do that. But lucky for Ryan Marks, this is a (laughs) fictional plane. (laughs) And it does grant access to the inside. Oh my god. Once inside, Carson radios and says that the Trojan horse virus you uploaded allowed them access to the real manifests for the items on this plane. And one of those items is a big old bomb. Oh my god. And he does not want that bomb to get sold to any terrorist organizations. Totally. So you need to stop them. We're gonna blow up the bomb in the plane. Well, since you're on an airplane, there's not a whole lot of places you can go, and you find Tony very quickly. And he's sitting in his private lounge on the plane in a big comfy chair with a gun by his side. He offers you a drink and semi-quotes Genghis Khan. Also, this is not the only game this season we're going to be referencing that lunatic. Jesus Christ. He says, the greatest moment in a man's life is when his enemies are finally vanquished. And the real quote is, a man's greatest moment in life is when his enemies lay vanquished, his village aflame, his herds driven before you, and his weeping wives and daughters are clasped to your breast. What the fuck, man? Yeah, way worse. Yeah. Tony jokes that he fell in love with memorizing quotes from history books as a way to escape his nag of a wife. Go to therapy! I don't understand fucking anti-spouse boomer humor, like, at all. (laughs) It's funny because you hate each other? I love you so much. Like, who the fuck else is going to do a video game podcast with me? I don't know, probably some dude. Exactly. I don't want to do that. Oh. Tony says all that reading about history taught him one very important lesson. He should get a divorce. You can't win them all. Oh. Like in marriage. Oh, my God. For him. (laughs) You ask him if he really thought he would get away with killing half your family. And he says... Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> what a dumbass. We're in a war. You're a soldier. You understand people die in war, right? People keep making assumptions about Ryan just based on his job. And right. <laughs> it's not going well for anyone. 
Tony then tells some weird parable about his childhood and how he got the shit kicked out of him once. I believe that happened more than once. He seems like a little dipshit. And his mom told him to go back and tell the kid that he wants a rematch. And the kid that beat him up backed down, despite having the backup of his two older brothers with him. He says that while your dad and him weren't friends, they did have respect for each other. But this organization that has now stepped in, they want to control everything. And they want to use the networks that the previous mob groups controlled. He tells a story about how he was describing an issue he was dealing with to this group. And by the end of the conversation, they had already taken care of it. Oh, shit. They're that fucking powerful. Tony is a high-ranking member now. And he still has no fucking clue who the group is <laughs> or who its leader might be. Still just full, like, black hats, like, no one knows what's going on. Complete and total shadow organization. Also, Tony's a dumbass, so... Maybe he just isn't connecting things, but okay. Yeah, he might consider himself high-ranking at this point. Yeah, he is like entry-level of the MLM right now. He's met Kayla. Yeah. But he does know he hates losing. And he considers working for this organization as losing in the end. Oh. He has come to terms with the fact that he is no match for this organization. But he knows how much of a pain in the ass you can be seeing as you've been a pain in his this entire time. He says he wishes he could just go knock on their door and demand another fight. But he's not the one wearing a parachute, is he? And at that, the front of the plane explodes. <gasps> and you get sucked out. Oh no! And you float back down to the ground as you watch the plane break up in a fiery mess, taking Tony down with it. I love that. And you can actually avoid the entire conversation if you just walk in and shoot him in the face. <laughs> so that's an option because I like that option too. Yeah. Or you can actually let him do the entire conversation and then shoot him in the face and then it explodes. <laughs> I, I, I think that I like that option the best actually. Saw so it described as this is the truth ending. This is the blood ending. And this is the blood and truth ending. <laughs> oh, I love that. Hell yeah. You next find yourself back at your old family penthouse. The one with your dad's office. And you and Michelle go over family photos, laughing about memories. And the two of you talk a bit, and she reveals that she has taken over as the head of the family business. Aww. And that she's getting rid of Dad's ridiculous desk. <laughs> also, we find out that you're still dead, according to the public record. Oh, shit. So you can't just show back up at work. Yeah, and you're essentially a non-entity. You're a ghost. Carson is outside smoking a cigar, and you two discuss him a bit. She says that she has exhausted all of her hacking skills and has spoken to every contact she's ever had. She can't find a single trace of this organization that you and Carson insist exists. Interesting. You ensure her it's real and that you and Carson are going to take them down together. She tells you not to get yourself killed. Again. <laughs> And the screen starts looking weird, like you're looking through a puddle. And she goes, wait, are you crying? Oh. And you're all, I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> Such a middle child. Yeah. I guess he's the oldest now, but. Oh, <laughs> that's really sad. That's why he's crying, Tom. 
After you wipe your eyes, you go outside to join Carson. He tells you that Kayla's real name is Amanda Kincaid, and that just two years ago, she was one of the CIA's top agents. Oh, shit. She was his absolute best operative. But after one of her missions, she came back acting strangely. When she went out on her next mission, she vanished, and he hadn't heard about or from her since. Wow. You tell him that she told you about your dad having joined the organization when she let you go. He says that, well, she is a master manipulator, and that she will say literally anything to fuck with a person's head. Yeah, I believe that. You ask, why would she do something like that? And he says, I have no idea. He's like, that bitch is crazy. But at least you're already dead. Can't get much worse than that. (laughs) And he promises that the two of you are going to take down her and the entire organization together. And you ask him, when are you going to get started? And he says, soon, friend. Soon. And the two of you look out over London and he tells you that if you're going to be a ghost in any city, well, at least you picked a pretty one. Aww. And the music swells as the credits roll for honestly like the next 12 minutes. Like in VR, so you're just like watching the scroll. Yeah, just watching the scroll. <laughs> and there's no after credits scene. Oh. But after the 12 minute credits sequence, we do get the all time classic sequel bait. The end. Dot, dot, dot. Ah! Question mark? No, they did not put a question mark at the end They of it. put the question mark Fuck at Fuck off. It. But they didn't do it until after 12 minutes of credits, so it wasn't like that they're heavy-handed. Like, they're like, we'll hide it if it wasn't very clear we're trying to set up a whole ass franchise. Oh, no, I love it, and it's not coming back. Yeah, that was Blood and Truth. Uh, the last thing that they have said from London Studios is that they have another big VR title coming. Okay. But they have not said anything about when or what. Okay, so it could still be in the world. We don't know. We hope so. Yeah, it's a fun world to exist in. And honestly, I've heard nothing but good things about the PSVR 2. Yeah. I am very interested in getting one myself. I've heard that the 60 frames per second really helped to lower the problems with like some of the motion sickness yeah the new controls are designed for vr finally instead of just being this old peripheral they're like make it work damn it (laughs) oh i really enjoy that i liked a lot of the characters there that was very fun you can kind of see where some of the seams are pulling apart of like uh we just need to get from here to here yeah exactly Um, because like we said the action pieces were designed first and then it's like just make it work yeah but i think they did a great job of making it work that was very very fucking fun oh entirely i had a great time playing it you know it is frustrating there are a lot of parts where like i said just the limitations of psvr that make it a little frustrating totally reasonably so but it sounds like they did a lot of work within the box they had to play in like that was fucking great Yeah, I had a great time with this game. It sounds like most people that have played this game had a great time with it as well. Yeah, I need to watch something with Jason Statham now. Right, we need to watch something really like bombastic (laughs) now. I don't think necessarily like Crank level, but... Oh, Crank is so good, though. (laughs) I fucking love Crank. Have you ever seen Rock and Rolla, though? That one's an underrated Guy Ritchie classic. I haven't. I'm I'm down because I'm in the zone now. Let's let's do it. All right. I think I introduced you to the Crank movies. 
You did. I hadn't seen them. I had to sell you on the most insane franchise. I'm like, all right, it's Jason Statham, and he's crazy. And you're like, is that the whole thing? And I was like, yes. That's the entire the entire point. That's the entire fucking point. It's great. He was oh. like an Olympic diver too, wasn't he? He was, and then he was like a street rat drug dealer, and then he became an actor and model. Like his life is insane. Yeah, he has a pretty storied career in history and life. He has a pretty face. Yeah, he does. No, that was that was really fucking fun. I really enjoyed that. I love the world they've created. I think it's a bit of a cop out to make it so black hat organization of like no one even knows. And you're like, okay, so we just want to have like rotating figureheads until we work our way up to it. Like, that's fine. But that's a very minor critique. I think this is a really, really great piece. Yeah, it plays out more as an origin story for this partnership between Carson and Ryan than it does as a full like narrative of itself. Yeah, totally. I think in a full-scale game that wasn't VR, this might have gone on further. Yeah. I get why they had to take Nick out so there's not another male figurehead of the family, but damn it, I really liked Nick. Nick is such a great character. He's lovable from moment one. Just flipping the sign over to say twat. I yeah. love him. He's my best friend. Entirely. He's kind of the sonny of the family. You know, oh. it was very godfather in that sense. No, you can see all the different seams from all the different like inspirations that it took. You know, Sonny was always my favorite. Too. Yeah, it was. <sighs> I am a Sonny stan like straight up. <laughs> yeah, you've always, always love Sonny. Yeah, the godfather movies. That's another one that I'd never seen until you introduced them to me. My family, that was like a requirement. <laughs> My dad and I used to watch The Godfather every year since I was like five on Christmas. Right. So I have a lot of feelings about The Godfather movies. Yeah, you didn't grow up weird at all. No, I'm totally normal now. <laughs> <laughs> Not over here cheering for death while you're describing it to me. Anyway, it's fine. I'm fine. How are you? Yes, Goombas. So that was Blood and Truth. I'm so happy to have brought that one because, yeah, I've been wanting to explore a VR game and, you know, I am kind of limited to what I own. Yeah. I would love to own a more expensive system. Uh, I don't have the money. If you want to support us, you can go to our Patreon <laughs> and someday I can start doing some better VR content. But right now, you know, what I can afford is what we're going to do. Yeah. And, you know, right now, all the money from the Patreon merch, all that good stuff is just keeping the lights on. It does cost money to host the show. It does cost money to host the website. And we are very grateful for the support. It's been, we've been paying out of pocket. It's so much fun. And we are so grateful for anyone who's willing to help us get there. So thank you for helping us put the show on. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Yeah. And over there, like even during our off season, we at least drop monthly episodes over there. So you still get some more of the other castle content during the off season. So thank you so much again. You can find all the good stuff at theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. And we'll see you next Wednesday with another game. All right, bye, Goombas. Until next time, this is Tom and Andrea reminding you, don't skip the cutscenes. Don't do it. Bye. Yeah. German whipping, I'm burning piff. Work the dip and I swerve and dip. I take the top and she working tip. I rate the way that she pressing lips. In the form and I earn this shit. I in the morning, it burns and shit. Washed away all that dirt and grit. I took the scenic, I'm swearing sick. Whipped out like howdy how. Whipped out on my rowdy rows. Skirt off in that white new ting. Impressed a bunch of them rowdy wow. Like, come against me, are you mad? Come against me, are you chowing?